0: I don't know if we're tough enough to keep doing this for another five years.
1: Yeah, I get it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm preaching to the choir. Hey guys, Kat here from Standing Stone. And if this is your first time to our podcast, thanks for tuning in and listening. Um, If you followed along with our podcasting journey, you might have heard that we had a podcast titled Yawa, You Ask, We Answer, which was a great start to our podcasting journey. But now Ethan and I want to do a little bit more with our podcast. We want to have people on, guests to share their stories and experiences with, Um, as well as Ethan and I will still be doing podcasts together sharing our stories, um, ideas and things that we have about hunting and training as well, but we want to take it kind of to the next level where we have guests on, um, our podcast. So stick around, listen in, um, if this is your first time, like I said, follow along, but if you know, we have a YouTube channel. We also have Facebook, Instagram, Patreon, a website, and a supply store, standingstonesupply.com. So if you need anything hunting dog training related, check that out. On today's episode, I want to introduce you to Bob Owens with Lone Duck Outfitters. Uh, He breeds labs and he does train primarily retrievers. We won't hold that against him, um, especially because we did get a puppy from him a few years ago, um, a little black lab named Clutch, and we did a training series. So Back to that YouTube channel that I was talking about. If you want to watch his training journey, um, we have a whole series with him. And when we finished that up, uh, we brought him back out to Bob, who finished up his training and found him a great forever home. So um, it was a great start to that relationship that we had with Bob. I consider him a good friend, um, as well as a professional relationship that we have. Um, and now we've done more projects and trips and videos and things like that. And we've been on Bob's Podcast, um, so now it's time to return the favor and have him on ours. So, Bob, if you want to introduce yourself, tell him a little bit about where to find you, and then we'll get into the nitty gritty.
1: What's up? What's up? Thank you for having me. It feels good uh, to to see your face, and I appreciate you inviting me to be on your show. Um, I'm Bob Owens from Lone Duck Outfitters and Kennels, professional retriever trainer uh dabble in the breeding. I I think you guys I call you and Ethan when I have some questions. So um we've got some really nice females and and our our goal is to produce a really competitive animal, a great family companion and a dog that you can enjoy taking on hunts. Um and and I would say 99% are labradors. Um my brother has a golden retriever, clients have some chesapeakes and then I have a um Good Lord. Andy is a English setter. setter. Yeah. Good. Yeah. I, I, um, and so she's had one letter, but primarily we're we're Labrador folk here. Blacks, yellows, chocolates. We love them all. Um, but I think my heart belongs to the black ones. Um, I'm from central New York. Uh, grew up in a town called Baldwinsville. And a little digression. I was a little kid and I would Hear gunshots at the state land right behind my house, and I knew that it was hunt test season. And I would ride my bicycle into the state land, and it would either be retriever hunt tests or would be horseback field trials with the pointing dogs. And so I would go and watch, and you know, several nice folks would let me pet their dog, and and so I, from a really early age, I just I loved, loved, loved working dogs, sporting breeds, and watching them do what they do. And then life brought me into this and uh, chase the dream, which I know we're going to get into on this show. So I'm really excited to, to share that. But yeah, Central New Yorker, dog trainer, a little bit of breeding, podcaster, Instagrammer. I kind of do it, do everything and, and wear many hats and, and enjoy Ninety nine percent of it.
0: <laughs> and that's what I want to talk to you today about is um, people ask us all the time. So what does it take to run a kennel? What does it take to um, get to the point where you can be a professional trainer on your own kennel? And uh, we have kind of taken a three part series right now where I've talked to um, our head trainer, Jessica, and said, so. If you want to be a dog trainer, this is kind of how she got her start. Uh, This is what we would recommend doing. I talked to um, Kayleen, who is a very successful multi-business owner. Um, She has opened and run multiple businesses, sold some businesses, and has a lot of insight as far as what it takes to run a successful business. And I wanted this episode to kind of squish those two things together of you want to be a dog trainer and you want to run your own kennel. Um, kind of goes hand in hand. And you are um, a peer that has kind of followed a very similar path to this process as Ethan and I. Uh, We've had a few small conversations in the past about that. And I wanted to share that with people because um, it is very um, romanticized sometimes. People talk to us all the time. They're like, oh, I would love to do that for a living. You just play
1: with dogs all day
0: just play with dogs all day, be outside hunting all the time. And though that is a part of it, it is just a small part of what it takes to do this full-time. So I thought this would be a good opportunity to not only have a great conversation because it's always awesome talking to you, but share kind of your journey and your process. Though we have similarities, um, labs, retrievers versus short hairs and primarily, you know, upland pointers. uh, But you are in a little bit different situation that um, you don't do this with your spouse, whereas Ethan and I have a team to be able to rely on. You kind of are a one-man band um, with a few people helping you out here and there, and I wanted to share the differences with that as well. So uh, you kind of started by talking about you know where you're from and what you do, but um, and how you kind of got interested with, you know, the sure. background of field trials behind your home and going out and checking them out as a little kid. Is that really kind of the start where the interest started and then where did that lead you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, that was a, a very pivotal, there's, there's a few parts and I won't go into it too much, but there's a few No oh, no
0: please do. I mean, this is part of it. Okay. Gotta find out the find out the background.
1: Okay. So I feel like I'm probably similar to a lot of folks like us that ended up falling into it to be becoming a lifestyle, right? Um, I had an older gentleman that was a mentor to my father, and he was much older, like more like a grandpa, right? And he gave me an encyclopedia of dog breeds from the AKC, and it's from like nineteen fifty two. And he gave it to me. And I memorized first off, Bob Owens doesn't like to read. <laughs> Not a reader here. But young, the young guy in me just I, I read that book forward and backwards, A to Z, every single breed, and I memorized them all, where they were from, uh, what their job was, what their purpose was, what their coats were like, da da da. I could name them all. And it was like a game. And then when we got to college, it became a little bit of a a beverage consuming game where if if the uh, the dog show was on TV, it would be like all right. If anyone can beat me on pick, naming the breed before it pops up on the screen, I got a drink and and it, and then I the whole place would be like, well, we don't know. And I'd be like the Great Great Pyrenees, <laughs> yep, Great Pyrenees. And you know, I could basically commentate it. I loved them. Every piece of a dog, I, I really enjoyed. Um, So that guy was very pivotal, and he had pointers, English pointers, and so he would run horseback field trials, and he was uh, one of the founders of the Central New York chapter. Um, you know, and then for me, when I was like twelve, like I said, I'd ride my bike and go watch them, and I'd see these dogs do things that, uh, how do you do it? How do you get a dog to stop on a whistle and change direction by just moving your arm? And, And so it just triggered me. And then I my first dog, uh, an old chocolate lab, his name was Nelson. And Nelson at, I don't know how old I was, eight, probably 10, I don't know, young. I'm walking him at night. My parents have a family party going on, an adult party. And I have to let Nelson out. So, I take him down the road and he hears people at our house and he pulled me all the way to the house and I'm skidding on my belly on the pavement holding them. And I'm like, I, I come in, I'm, I'm bloody and I'm crying and I'm like, dad, you know, all I want is a dog that can be off leash and, and listen to me. And I mean, I'm telling you, I'm 35 years old and I remember having this conversation of me crying on the front steps of my house during a family part, like a, an adult party where it's embarrassing for a 10 year old guy to be crying. And I'm like, I, Why won't he listen to us? And and there are like those little tiny moments where that dog was super special to me. I mean, amazing family companion, but he had flaws, right? Like how many clients of yours have you had like the husband or the wife be like, boy, he almost pulled my arm out of the socket.
0: Oh, that's a very common thing. They just don't listen. And, you know, you want to enjoy that family member to the, the maximum potential that you can. And if they're dragging you down the street, pulling your arm out of the socket, not listening when they're off leash it's not enjoyable. And it's amazing as an eight-year-old, 10-year-old that you recognize that.
1: Yeah. This is unacceptable and and I want more. Right. And so it was like from then a little light bulb went off. And so I read again, not a big reader, but I loved reading dog training books. And when DVDs became a thing, you know, in high school, I would buy all the little DVDs with my money that I'd save up. And so I had this conceptual understanding of how to take a dog from A to B to Z and went to college and a couple buddies had college dogs. And so I would be the guy that would go and work them and I would take them on hikes and I would train them. And then first paycheck I got out of college, I bought a yellow Labrador and his name is Buck. and He's 13 and change now and Buck and I did everything together. We got some hunt test titles. We started a company called Lone Duck Outfitters, uh, a, an apparel brand, a t-shirt and hat company. And I would legit drive from Syracuse, New York, all down the East Coast, up and down on my vacation time, air quotes, if you're just listening, air quotes, vacation time from work. And I'd be like, yeah, I got to uh, you know take a Friday off. And I would drive to Alabama, and I would drive all the way to Alabama, sell hats, T-shirts, slip leads, collars. And then Saturday night, I would drive all the way home. And Sunday, I'd get back at some time and go to work on Monday. And I started meeting all these great people. I started getting invited to sleep on couches of these great pro dog trainers. And so all of a sudden, I would instead of a take a Friday off, I would take a whole week off. And I would hit a hunt test up, sell some gear train Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. We'd drive to another hunt test, sell some gear and I'd drive home. And so I, there are people that I, I cannot thank enough because they took me in, took me under their wing, me, Bob and Buck, Yankee Bob. And we would sleep on couches and spare bedrooms and, and get to hang out all week with guys who do this for a living. And I just got to sit there and ask questions and me and my dog got to grow and then relationships grew and I got an opportunity, which maybe, you know, is when people ask, like, how do I become a pro? My number one suggestion, and I'd love to discuss this with you, is go work for someone. By training one or two or three dogs yourself, that doesn't necessarily make you qualified, in my book, to start taking money from people and and know the ins and the outs of what can go wrong with a dog, right? Like, hey, it didn't read the book that you read. It's not doing what you think it's going to do. It's nervous. It's aggressive. Getting your hands on many dogs is imperative. So training one, two, or three dogs to me doesn't make you a professional. And so taking money from someone down the road isn't really fair. Now, if you say, Hey, listen, I'm learning and I want the opportunity to work with you and your dog and that dog becomes a piece of your portfolio, your resume. That's great. But I I think you have to be really upfront and honest with people with, you know, I've only trained three dogs and, you know, I, I would love to help you, but I'm not a pro. Right. And so that's like years go by And I got an opportunity to go work for someone. And so I, I quit my day job. I I was a salesman. I sell, I literally sold everything and I quit and I cut my pay basically in half and like just rolled the dice on my dream. I loaded up Memphis and Buck. I loaded up uh, a big trailer full of t shirts and hats and all that jazz. And we drove to South Carolina and I got to work. 20 plus dogs a day. I got to watch a lot of really, really good people train 20 plus dogs a day and run hunt tests and make mistakes. And, and so I I got a really good understanding of different dog personalities, struggles and strifes. And why didn't, why isn't this working? It should work this way, but it's not. And until you have three, four, five, 25, 45. Of those under your belt, then you are like, I think I got this. So um, that's kind of my backstory of of how I did it, and I did that for about a year, and I hung my own shingle back home so I could be with family.
0: And I couldn't agree more. I think that that's a common mistake that people make um, when they think that they're ready to be a professional dog trainer. They've you know worked with two or three of their own personal dogs and. It's gone pretty well. They've been pretty successful. And they're like, I'm a dog trainer. Right. Um, I can do this. I can take people's money and do this professionally. And that's not the case because uh, what happens is maybe the two or three dogs that you were lucky enough to work with came from great breeders with lots of natural ability and they didn't test you. Right. Uh, they didn't right. <laughs> they didn't throw something at you that you'd never seen before. And you have at that point, you have no bag of tricks to pull from because you haven't seen enough opportunities to learn. Uh, you haven't worked with enough dogs and had a mentor there or a, another boss there saying, Hey, why don't you try this? I know you've tried it this way and this way, but there's other options out there not right. every training method works for every dog. And so gaining that incredible amount of experience that then you're later able to pull from and apply to other dogs and other situations is, is necessary. Um, And if you do want to help out a buddy down the road or, you know, a family member to continue gaining that experience, you know, on a little bit slower track, um, if you will, then just (laughs) jump and ship and all in, um, because it is a risk. Um, and it's, it's scary at times to take that risk, but, um, you need to be transparent and say, Hey, I've trained my own dogs. I maybe helped with a couple other dogs, um, I'm still learning. I'd be happy to work with your dog. Maybe we can, you know, share expenses where, you know, I work with your dog, but you cover their feed bill and bird bill. Right. Um, if I'm going to go run them for you at a test, you're going to cover their entry fees, things like that. Um, but yeah, taking a, taking a monthly training bill at that point kind of seems um, a little dishonest in a sense. Of, yeah. It's, no, yeah, it's no. irresponsible.
1: And, and I think yes. if people looked at themselves in the mirror and checked their ego, they would, they would understand what we're saying, right? Like they'd be like, yeah, you know, you're right. Um, but it's, it's, everybody has a different journey and, and there's a lot of great trainers slash business people that didn't exactly know what they were doing, whether it's a construction person or a dog trainer. And, and they were highly, highly successful. So I'm not saying you have to follow Bob's road or cat and Ethan's road. I'm just saying, if you're going to take money from people, and and they're going to entrust you with the life of their pet, you have to have some credentials.
0: Yep. And there's no like actual certification process, right? It's not like Bob didn't go to college to be a dog trader. Kat and Ethan didn't go to that school of dog training either. Um, we learned through, we worked for another trainer as well for a couple of years. It wasn't just, Oh, standing stone kennels. Here we are. Right. Um, so gained a lot of experience that way. Um, and then through our own personal dogs and, um, gained a lot of experience and have a lot of bag of tricks to pull from. We like to call it a bag of tricks cause it's, there's no cookie cutter method for training a dog and, um, dogs throw stuff at you years down the road that you've never seen. And you're like, well, Based on what I know about dogs and how they go through training processes, I'm going to apply this mm-hmm. situation right. to this training technique and see what happens. Um, and if it works out, then you're like, "Hey, now I've got a new uh, trick to add to my bag." Or you go, "Well, I'm going to try something else." And you're troubleshooting. You you constantly are, and that's the fun and the challenge of it is right. it's not everyday boring, same old, same old.
1: That's right. They keep us on our toes. One of the things, you know, and this is definitely a digression of what we're talking about, but you know, I'm mentally exhausted at the end of the day. I'm, I, you're not just going out for me, you know, we throw quote unquote marks, right? So a mark is a bird that the dog sees fall, you know, so if we're duck hunting and I shoot or your, your dog points a bird, it flushes, you shoot it, the dog marks that bird where it fell and goes and gets it. We're not just going out and doing that. We're, we're, why am I picking that mark out? Why is it? Why am I having it thrown that direction? Which way is the wind blowing? What if the dog fades this way with the wind or doesn't fade the wind? And what if it goes in the water too early or too late? Like every minute on every single dog, I'm thinking. So at the end of the day, I'm beat. Plus everybody texts me. (laughs)
0: <laughs> right. Um, training with intention. We talk about yeah. that all the time. You're not just out there checking boxes going, well, I need to throw marks for dogs. So check, check, check. Lucy, Jack and Joe all got their marks thrown. Well, what is that dog truly learning? How are they growing? How are they changing? Um, you know, what is my next step in that training process? So you're, you're looking at the big picture and training with intention and each dog needs something different. I'm not just going to be like, well, today's the day that we're doing this training drill and yeah. every dog's doing it. Because not every dog needs it. That's right. Um, so you're setting up new drills, new things. Um, and it is a lot for one person to do, even with assistance. Um, and at the end of the day, you are exhausted. Um, so I thank you again for taking the time at your end of your day to be on the show with me, but that's part of it too. That's the, that's the next step of running a business. It's not just, Oh, I'm a trainer. I'm out there doing the training. I'm also wearing the hat of contacting all of the owners and getting back to them with questions and updates. Um, I have to send out invoices. I got to pay the bills. I mean, there's all the other hats that you have to wear the content creation from YouTube videos and podcasts and Facebook and Instagram. And it's, it's a monster.
1: (laughs) It can be. Yeah. And you and Ethan and I have had discussions over the phone a good bit because again, I think you are light years ahead of me in the content creation, the management of the business and your insight and, and some of the things that you guys went through is what I'm dealing with now. And so hopefully maybe two years from now or a year from now, and even a year ago to now is a lot different and, and smoother. And And so we all talk to each other. We all help each other. Um, but it's it's not just playing with dogs all day. And, and I think It is romanticized. You use the word romanticized earlier. It's not, it's a great life. But it is from the minute I wake up to the minute I go to bed and I even have dreams about it. And you can ask my fiance, Carrie, she'll say, I wake up, you know, like I'll dream and be like, no, knock it off. Quiet, quiet. Knock it off here,
0: here. Or or you wake up in the middle of the night, kind of in this, like, I don't want to say panic, but you're like that like feeling of did i turn the coffee pot off like that feeling of like yeah. you know did i close every kennel run mm-hmm. or did i get them all clipped and latched and you kind of have that like moment yep. of panic and you're like i got to get up and i got to go check that's right you know middle of the night stuff because you ultimately are the responsible party for that dog's health and well-being their you know progress in your training program all of the things so yeah it's you don't shut it off ever as the business owner, um, especially of a business that revolves around live animals.
1: That's right. It's, it is not a job. It's not a nine to five. It's not an eight to five. It's not a seven to five. It's a lifestyle. You have to, and your, your life revolves around it. And I do the best I can to not let the job run my life, but I typically don't do a good job at that. It typically dictates vacation time, family time. Um, you know, I, we got home from South Carolina. I've been gone three months. I haven't seen my parents, my brother and sister and their kids. And the first thing we do is, oh, Johnny wants to come see, you know, Fido. It's like, well, all right.
0: They also haven't seen their. Family dog, whatever, for right. three months, and so you're
1: and you they pay my bills. That. That's right, and they pay my bills. So yep. you know what? I guess I can see my family on Sunday, and everybody else gets to see me and their dog on Friday, Saturday. So you know there there's definitely pros and cons to our lifestyle. And I the other kicker is it's expensive. I think people forget how expensive this is. You can't have a a fenced in backyard in a subdivision.
0: No, you need land, you need property, you need facilities.
1: That's right. You've got to have facilities. Um, So, yeah, there's a whole ball of wax. But
0: And it is. It's it's one of those things that we're not trying to say, don't be a dog trainer. This life sucks. No, we're trying to realistically talk about what it takes to do this and to do it right. Mm -hmm. Because, sure, you could be... in a different position and running things a little bit differently. And then we wouldn't be having this conversation. Cause I wouldn't be like, yeah, Bob does it right. Let's talk about it. Um, but, uh, those dogs take 24 seven care and, you know, you want a vacation. Well then you need to line up reliable, responsible help that you can trust to care for those dogs on those few times that you're taking a break. And, right. um, we've gotten to the point and, you know, we've, I don't want to say that we've been doing this longer than you, but we've gotten to the point faster because I think of the teamwork that Ethan and I have been able to have, which is super beneficial. Right. Um, but be able to get to the point where we can create a little more balance, um, which you're going to get to that point here in the yeah. next year or two, like you're we'll seeing. See. <laughs> uh, yeah, try try for that balance because right. it's so important. I mean, you can't grind all day and have anything left to give, um, at some point something's going to give. Right. Um, and, and that can be, you know, like getting along with your spouse. I mean, Ethan and I have had our, our ups and downs for sure. People always ask, well, how can you work with your spouse all day, every day? I'm like, well, you can, but sometimes you do want to yell at each other and, you know, you get in fights and you get through it, but, um, having that balance so that you can enjoy life. Outside of just dogs, 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 even though you love the dogs. That's right. Sometimes you need a break.
1: That's right. The other, to to paint a beautiful picture, like on the other side, one of my favorite things is watching the owners enjoy them. Like I do all the hard work, right? I take, they, you know, whatever, whether they're a good dog, a medium dog, or one that you're like, thanks for coming. Glad to see you go no matter what that dog did in that four months or six months or 10 months or however long watching that owner come and like the jaw drop when their dog does something cool and they get to do it with their dog and then you get pictures from hunting season and you know took them to the coffee shop and i can't believe how great he was like those little things make you completely forget that he used to pee in his crate all the time you know you're like "Oh, he's a great dog yeah i'm glad you're happy you know Um,
0: and it comes full circle to what you were saying at the very beginning like just wanting a dog to listen and be enjoyable to be with and getting to help families owners experience that by going through a training program even just from the obedient side of things that makes dogs incredibly more enjoyable to live with that's right Um, but then also that jaw-dropping moment like my dog can do that. Like yeah. the mind blown from people, um, you know, cause we talk about training goals when people drop their dogs off and they're like, well, i really, I don't really know what my goals are. That's a big one. You know, I'm like, well, what would you like your dog to be able to do? Uh, I don't know. You know, or they're like, well, I want to be able to take them hunting, but they have no idea what that truly entails. And we go, okay, well, I start pulling questions out and pulling more information out. Well, are you going to hunt with other dogs? Is it primarily upland hunting? You know, give me some more information. And then we create this training goal and program for them. And then they come pick their dog up and get to handle. It. And they're like, whoa, I never even knew what hunting behind a dog could be. That's and right. now my dog does it. It's, it's incredible. And it yeah. is those moments that make it so rewarding and
1: worth it. Right. hundred percent. And it's, and then like, double notch it up is when you bred the puppy and then you train the puppy and then they get to go enjoy it so and then they
0: send you all those awesome updates of hunting pictures and sleeping on the bed with their kids pictures and things like that and you're like yep yep yep, we're doing something right here
1: worth it absolutely exactly absolutely
0: so you talked about um which was a great segue, Bob. Thank you. Thank you for talking about training, but then also like the breeding side of things. Um, and you know, you do a few litters a year, um, mostly labs, but also a couple other breeds you were talking about, um, golden and your setter. Um, so have you always done breeding in combination with everything? Or has that just been more recently where you've started to be like, Hey, I've got these great dogs. I'm training, I'm owning, let's do more with them. Or how did that come into being?
1: That's a great question. So when I, again, like you, you double back to 22 year old me, I I always wanted to have a line of dogs. I always wanted to build this. And that's what the guy who gave me the AKC book had, right? So like I'm learning from these people that I don't even know that I'm learning from them, but there was this little thing instilled in me and it's like, I wanted to build my own line of, of Labradors. I want them to be beautiful. I want to be hardworking. I wanted them to be team players, um, relatively easy to train, whatever that really means. Um, and I want to give that to people too. So I not only want it for myself because as a quote unquote breeder, I don't want to produce something that I wouldn't want to own. So if it's a dog that I wouldn't want to have in my house or in my family, or in the duck blind I'm not breeding it and so I as lone duck developed I I i bought Buck Buck had hip dysplasia so he didn't get to do anything I bought Memphis and caveat we just did a trans insemination which I think I talked to you and Ethan I think uh, you're
0: talking to Ethan about yeah
1: I think you were in the background. Yeah, I,
0: I'm sometimes in the background of those conversations. I can hear right? you.
1: <laughs> so uh, I'm really excited about it, but she's older, um, and and very infrequent heat cycles, and so we just never really hit it. And so I just looked at her as, "You're my hunting buddy. You're my competition buddy. You give you've given me everything. I don't. If you don't have pups, that's fine." Then I started acquiring more puppies and or dogs. To breed and I don't know about you. And maybe this would be a fun discussion, but I have really, really high expectations. So if their personality is too quirky or noisy or ugly or poor work ethic or like you name it, if they aren't checking my boxes, they don't get to stay. And that's Very probably, so. that's probably hard for people to comprehend of like, well, boy, Bob, that's super cold hearted to just get rid of dogs. Well, I don't like send them to the pound. I find homes for them.
0: Right. And th- there's nothing against those dogs. They are going to be a great fit for someone, but exactly. they're not the fit for the next step into the breeding program. And it is a hard pill to swallow for yep. for any breeder because keeping, training, raising a dog is a huge time investment and financial investment. Right. And it takes time to find out what they truly are and then it's a hard choice to go, well,
1: just, just not have right. this
0: thing that I can't get past, but I've already invested, you know, almost two years into you to figure that out. And I'll just breed you anyway, because I've already invested the time. That's no, right. those are the hard pills where you're like, nope, I'm going to find you a good home and I'm going to start over. And it's another, you know, 18 month process.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly. So they're like any dog that I've not had pan out for my program has either gone to be a hunting dog, family dog for someone else and they love them. It's all good. But for what I want to produce, they just weren't hitting my marks. Um, So that's been a really tough learning experience and a process. So in the last six years, I guess, of me starting to build this. I've, I've slowly started to get better at it, I guess, which is a good thing, you know, in six years, you better be learning. And we've got a good group now. Probably, that
0: means your program's improving. I mean, that's, that's, we've noticed that too recently. Um, You know, we've been in business for ourselves, breeding for ourselves for 10 years now. And just in the last couple of years, like I call it our washout ratio. Exactly. You know, yeah. the dogs that don't make the cut, it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller because we're improving and improving and improving. Right. And you know, if if you're not improving and you're not trying, you know, something's broken. You gotta, you gotta make a change.
1: Couldn't agree more. And so, yeah, same with us, same with me. So we've got several right now that I really, really like everything that I'm asking of a dog. They're, they're hitting it right. And then health tests for three of them need to come back. So we've got time on them and the other three or four are like when they come into heat or we are maybe, I don't know about you, but for me, like competitions have gotten in the way of my breeding program. Yep. So for instance, you know, my dog Quinn, Mm -hmm. we were going to run a big competition this fall. We decided not to anymore. So now instead of waiting X amount of time to breed her, the next heat cycle will be go time.
0: Ooh, Quinn's a really nice dog. I know Ethan really, really likes her. She's, uh, so and she's she's, cool. I got to see her do some drills when she was younger and was very impressed by her. But yes, the hunt, like either hunt season right. you know, where you're like, well, I need to be guiding. I need to be hunting. I need to be working with this dog. She's benched from breeding exactly. because I need to be working with her or she needs to be hunting and gaining that experience or prepping for testing. So, yeah, it, it's easier when you've got a male because they can, you know, do the breeding, continue on. Females, they're out for a while.
1: Right. Yeah. So it's tough, but I, I would say on average, we do three to four litters a year. I would like to be in the four to six litters a year, but I'm not really worried about quantity over quality. And I still am a competition driven kind of guy. So I'd rather go do great in a competition with a dog, then make, make some puppies. Yep.
0: And all, all in all those puppies that you're keeping for the program and keeping to, you know, be part of um, your breeding process, they take up a spot, they take up time. Yep. Um, and so they, especially with your situation, you know, being a one man show for the most part, I know you've had some help here and there. Um, you've got to have a balance of, well, this dog is useful for my breeding program prospect. I can't have too many of those though because those take away spots from my training clients. So that's right. um you can only you can only work with and do a quality job with so many dogs. I mean even here it's not like oh well we've got enough extra help. We can just have a thousand dogs on the property all the right. time. No, we, we limit that to twenty dogs in for training at a time plus our personal dogs because otherwise we can't do them justice.
1: Um that, that's exactly right. And that's a really fine line that i'm learning and you know like for instance our friend, good friend peter you introduced me yep. to peter peter has a dog that technically i own named sam and and i own her and she's had a litter and we'll have one or two more i would imagine but peter gets to keep her all year long and duck hunter from north dakota to texas nebraska and enjoy every bit of her and then I trained her to the master level in AKC Hunt tests. And so for me, as far as a competition dog, we've reached her goal. We've accomplished her goal. Now go have fun. Go sleep in bed with this four year old. Go duck hunting. Go ride on the four wheeler with him. But when the time comes, she's a great mother and produces great puppies and we'll we'll do it. But uh, yeah, you're right. You kind of have to balance that. How many are living in your house? I mean, I have. It takes
0: f- time to give enough attention to all of them. And it's funny you mentioned Peter and the situation that you have with him with Sam, which I've got to see her work. Incredibly impressive. Uh, we went on a goose hunt in, well, I can't remember. It was Nebraska and Wyoming because we kept going back and forth. We would hunt one state and then the other state. Um, but she was picking up these marks. Well, I guess I'm not retriever savvy, blinds technically then because they had been shot they coasted out there we had more geese working and coming in so we got back mm-hmm. in the blind and then came back to work that dead bird later so that would be a blind right yeah and,
1: yeah and now okay, okay,
0: okay i got it i got it um but peter actually has our retired male shooter now yes. um, same situation you know he became a master hunter um reached our potential our goals for him from a titling standpoint Um, he's such a sweet laid back, easygoing dog that it was one of those things that's like, and as a male, it's, I don't want to say easier because if I need to get him up for a breeding and we're only six hours from Peter, five and a half hours. So it's a lot easier than (laughs) New York to to Texas, but, um, We'd be like, hey, Peter, we need to get Shooter up here for a breeding, and we could get him back up here. And it was a, a really good opportunity to have one of our dogs get more attention than we would truly be able to give him, Absolutely. especially once he'd reached that culmination of his tro- you know, testing potential that we were working for. So, um,
1: What I've really realized right now during this discussion is Peter has two fantastic dogs <laughs> that he didn't have to really do jack for. So God bless Peter, yeah, but
0: he does a great job working them, hunting them, giving yes, them their best lives, you know, more than yes. we can truly give them. So, um, no, Peter's awesome. And it's great. Cause I still get to see shooter, you know, considerably, um, because we hang out quite a bit. Absolutely. But, no, he's a yeah, good no. dude.
1: They couldn't be in a better spot. So I'm yeah. super thankful for him, but I, I do think it's hilarious. <laughs> he's got two master hunters,
0: yeah, a, a lab and a short hair. He's, he's living his best life too. <laughs>
1: that's right add a baby uh,
0: so with the breedings i know that um because when we went out to pick out clutch you had the litter but it had been a situation where you kind of um in the beginning and i think things have changed now when you were super busy and getting kind of things worked out you had a,
1: a i don't Walping, know Walping I, lady i
0: don't know puppy lady um that helped you mm-hmm. kind of whelp and raise some of the puppies to a certain point because You and I both know puppies and raising litters properly is a lot of work. And this allowed you to still have a litter, but not neglect the litter, you know, because you you can't do it all. Um, And then get the puppies in the last couple of weeks, evaluate them, that sort of thing to help make recommendations for your puppy buyers. And that's a really cool service that truly until we came to, you know, work with you in clutch, I didn't even know that was a thing. Um, And we're in the breeding world, you know, and I was like that's a thing. I didn't even know that. So that's really, um, cool. And I think that's a good piece of information for people to know about.
1: Yes. Yeah, so she is, uh, phenomenal. Um, basically she takes the mama dog about a week before the puppies are due. And we have some prerequisites, you know, we, uh, an x-ray to get a general idea of what's in there, which never is right. Uh, never. <laughs> not once have they hit it right. Um, Cruz's first litter was supposed to be six. She had 12 next litter, oh, seven, wow. 12 uh, next litter, eight, 10, you know, so never right. So, but at least you, you can kind of get and, an idea, and I guess.
0: To be fair, like seeing the x-ray a lot of times, if there's going to be an issue with like an exceptionally large puppy that, you know, That's might indicate right. that there could be a complication during the whelping process or the need for a C-section You've got a heads up for that. That's right. Um, the puppy count, which ultrasounds, you can't get a puppy count either. People no. always are like, oh, how many puppies? I'm like, we just confirmed that she is pregnant and we could see a couple on the the ultrasound screen. So, right. um, no, at I'm, least we know that. But um, it gives you at least a little bit more insight. So, you're not completely flying blind when those puppies hit the ground. But, right. yeah, we've never had accurate puppy count x-rays either.
1: No. So... Uh, Long story short, she wants to have a a, a gist of pups, and then you take them to her, and she has a facility. She can do progesterone for females. She can collect males. She can, uh, I think it's three or four litters at a time. She can do everything but a C-section. I'm trying to think what else. Pretty much a C-section would be, she has ultrasound equipment. So if you're not quite sure if there's another one in there, you could like pop on. Oh, we've got a heartbeat in there. Boom. Right. So she's got everything. This is her retirement fun business that she's built. And so I've used her for uh, a bunch of litters and they've got a great spot for mom and puppies. Then environmental, uh, early neurological stimulation, early scent introduction, sounds sound uh they have a play area each litter has their own play area with different weeble wobbles and things to grab and pull and you know whatever they do litter box training which if you're me you're thinking what do we want in a litter box train our dog well it teaches that little baby puppy to keep their play area and sleeping area clean and then there's a proper place to go potty say that three times fast proper place to go potty okay so good. <laughs> I did. I nailed it. So uh are they 100%? No. Are you going to get them home and their house broken? No. Are they going to be crate trained? No. But
0: it's starting to set that stage and development exactly. process. And we don't litter box train our puppies. We tried once and it was a disaster. And I probably wasn't doing it right. But we do let outs with our puppies every few hours. And that teaches them, hey, go. once they're old enough, obviously. Hey, I go outside. I do my business out there. It's this you know, same concept, teaching process yeah. development. Yeah. Clean inside and where I'm playing and where my sleeping space is potty outside. That's where it needs to happen. So. Absolutely.
1: And, and we have, you know, out of the last several litters that we've had the, the feedback and the puppies that I've raised from them have been easier to crate train, easier to house break. They've tended to try and stay clean. And so, yeah, I, I do think there's something about it and I'm going to continue on that process Um, since that, now we're going to bring it back in house, um, and do it ourselves. So I, I have five day old puppies downstairs right now. Super stressful. Um, didn't, I woke up at 3am. She did not deliver. I took Memphis to get a progesterone test two hours away, two hours back, had clients show up right away when I got back. And so we are checking on her like half hourly, right? Like Mm -hmm. everybody's popping in, you know, people are in and out, just checking. Well, at 2 p.m., I get done. Like, all right, everybody, you know, you have a good day, you know, delegating work for the people that are here. And I'm like, all right, I'm going to go check on Cruz. And I open the door, I hear, woof, And I'm like, who's barking at me? Cruz is on my couch (laughs) with a puppy. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm like, you got to be crapping me. We had a puppy on the couch. Not ideal. Everyone. Not good. Not prepared. I'm like, Phew. I like imagine me like Superman, like whirl and twirl, wash up, get in there, get her set. And like 10 minutes later, it's like puppy. Half hour later, puppy, 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 puppy.
0: Oh, she was shotgun out there. That's pretty quick. Like,
1: she did like six in two hours. And then it was about a two hour break. And then the rest uh, like through the afternoon, the evening, I think we were done at 9 PM. So that's
0: that's super fast accommodating too. Well, and she didn't make you go all night long. I
1: was just going to say first one I've ever done where I didn't do it at 3 AM. Right. So yeah, but it's just, you know, these, this is the life we lead, you know, that was my Saturday. And then my Sunday was spent sitting on a couch by myself watching puppies.
0: And making sure everybody's doing okay and gaining weight and latching and all the things. Um, So I want to just go back quickly and touch base on the whelping service, basically. Um, So she did this whole process for you. You got the puppies back at, was it six weeks, five weeks, somewhere in there? Uh,
1: Between six and six and a half and seven is when I would try and get them back. So I'd have about a week to
0: play with them, mess with them, interact. Get them on a pigeon,
1: do different things
0: did you get through that process um like updates from her on the litters and um feedback on what you were seeing she was seeing out of the puppies and her
1: yeah so insights yeah exactly so to the best of her and my ability mm-hmm. we would be on like um if something happened i'd know right away if nothing happened i wouldn't hear from her so then it'd be like hey can uh, you just give me an update what are we doing Um, they got their shots. They got a dewormer, da, 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 da. Um, at about six weeks is when we really start tracking with our notes. So five weeks. Yeah. You know, they all have their colors on with their collar, Mm -hmm. but six to eight weeks is when we really pay attention to the bully because yeah, the
0: personalities are really, they're barely there at that five-week mark usually. Like, they're just puppies. Yeah. And then, then their Roman personality, individuality starts to really shine through, I feel like, at that six-week mark as well. Yeah. Uh,
1: I think you have a gist of what you think you're going to see at six, seven, eight weeks. But, yeah, you, you kind of, that's when we start really comparing notes. And so, we we then go down our notes of our clients. Who wants a competition dog? Who's just a house dog, right? Like, Hey, I've got three kids and I want a house dog Labrador. You're not going to get the butt kicker.
0: Yeah. Cause nobody's going to be happy. The, the no. dog, the puppy, the family, all the things. That's right. So,
1: and so, um, and I'll try and if like, that's the case too, not every litter that I produce is right for that person. So sure. like the Quinn letter, when that all happens,
0: those aren't house doggies.
1: Not really. I mean, they're going to be great in the house. You got to work. That,
0: them. They need a job that's right. as well. They need the combination.
1: Yeah. A, a tennis ball in a fencing backyard is not sufficient. Right. So the, they will all be great house dogs. They will all be great hunting dogs. But if you work them on your Saturday and that's the only day they get to exercise and train, it, it's just not enough. I have other females that tend to produce dogs that can really balance that life, and so I will try and push those families to those litters. Um, but, but still, typically I would say I but err on have the side the same. of same. Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, still we typically have certain litters that I would
0: say these dogs need to go to people that are going to hunt a lot, mm-hmm. um, plan to do more with their dogs. This litter is going to be, I mean, they're all still going to be great family dogs. Cause if I can't live with the dog, then don't make the cut. Right. Exactly. And they can settle down and be part of the family in the house, but some are going to excel at that a little bit more with less of that, you know, wild, short hair energy that needs right. to be burned off on a regular. So, um, I just liked that interesting information about the whelping service, because I think there's a lot of people out there that think, Oh, it would be so amazing to breed my dog. Um, but they don't really know what they're getting into. No. And so, um, this would be an option for people like that are interested in it, that need some guidance, need some help. Um, from a standpoint that this is a lady, um, this is a service that's offered by somebody that has 24 seven to devote to those puppies. Cause sure. that's what it's, that's what it takes. Um, 100%. you, Especially if things don't go right. That's the thing that I talk about to people all the time is just like training. If you're you're like, Oh, I, I can train this one dog and I did amazing. That's Good right. for you. Everything went right. Same with, oh, I can breed a litter, everything went right. Well, when mom develops mastitis or you have a puppy that's not thriving and you have to supplement every couple hours and yeah. all of the things don't go right, then what do you do?
1: Yeah. I have... And you've
0: got, you know, a nine to five job who are caring for those puppies and your mama.
1: That's right. Yeah, I was literally just bottle feeding one of the small ones. I mean, Yep. So, you know, I got a 7:30 podcast to be on and I have milk replacement on my black flannel and so instead I threw a freaking vest on, right? Like it's it's 24/7 and and I'm not discouraging people from becoming a pro. I'm not discouraging people from having a litter. I'm not discouraging anyone from chasing their dreams because I truly, truly believe that if you have a passion and you're good at it, then you can do it. Why work for, why, you know, for me, look at me. I, I sold business insurance, copiers. I sold auto supplies. I sold all that junk. I hated my day-to-day, hated it. Don't settle, but just make sure that you do your due diligence and, and you learn and you grow and you develop the skill set to be good at this craft. And, and I personally always look in the mirror and be like, you're not good enough. And I think that makes me probably good, maybe not great, but good because I never think I'm good enough. I always want to try and do better. I always want to figure out how to raise litters better, breed better, train better. And so I think, you know, just because you have one female doesn't mean you should breed her just because you have a good male doesn't mean he should be bred. And, uh, and just because you've trained two or three good dogs doesn't mean you should go out on your own, but it might mean you have a future in it.
0: Yes. If you, um, are interested and you have a desire and a passion, um, All you need to do is start gathering information, you know, filling up your bag of tricks um, and saying, I'm going to learn as much as I can. Uh, You know, you, Bob, were traveling around, sleeping on people's couches, um, learning as you went as much as you could, soaking that in, even from a young child as, um, you know, a kid with your encyclopedia of dogs and your DVDs and things, you were a sponge just absorbing all of that information so that you could apply it later in life. Um, whether you knew you were going to be a dog trainer or not at that point, um, I definitely you didn't. had an interest in it.
1: Yeah. Did you know you were going to be a dog trainer?
0: No, no, absolutely yeah, not. <laughs> so, um, you take all of that information in and you keep adding to it and, um, you just be prepared don't go into it blind. Don't think, oh, I'm just going to do this because, um, you need to do the dogs justice. Um, you want to do yourself justice. And yes, um, being humble is I think, um, something that not a lot of dog trainers, um, are good at, but I think that it's a valuable trait, um, thinking that you're not good enough because once you think that you know everything and you're the best of the best and nobody else can tell you what to do or, what you can learn from, that's when you stop growing. That's when you stop becoming good, because um, there is always something to learn. Dog training and handling is always evolving. Um, Breeding methods and information is always evolving. There were not progesterone level tests back in the day um, so that we could time when a female should be bred. Um, People weren't doing x-rays and ultrasounds on females back in the day, but we have those tools that are disposal now to make sure our females and our puppies are as healthy as possible um and if there is new information that comes out i want to know about it i want to be aware of it so that i can keep growing and becoming better um than where i'm at now
1: yeah and by the way i had no idea how to do quickbooks (laughs) just being honest no idea right like
0: and it's pretty simple and to do the basics like Make an invoice, but then what do you do with that? No clue. No clue. I had to get an accountant.
1: Same. <laughs> there, there's so much more than just going to a field and doing it. It's, it really is, it's fun. Now that, that's the key. Like I, I do want people to remember that like we love our job. Uh, we're very lucky to do what we do and people trust us with their dogs and we get to raise puppies. And I can't wait till these little suckers that are downstairs in my living room are chasing their first pigeon it's gonna be super cool but i've also sacrificed a lot i i don't know if you even knew this cat but like part of when i moved home i didn't have a place we talked about a facility
0: i think you were talking about sleeping on a mattress in somewhere on the floor sleeping with memphis or something
1: yes i had a mattress now but many people are going to be like, well, Bob, why didn't you just buy a box spring? And, uh, and I'm like, well, I just didn't. Okay. Everyone leave me alone, but I did. I slept on the floor. I had like this warehouse space where I fenced in the backyard and you could do some training stuff there. It was safe. It was clean. It was good. And then I leased property that I could actually drive to and train, but I drove almost a hundred miles a day from like apartment to visit Carrie to my kennel. Kennel to training grounds, training grounds to kennel. And at 830 at night, after they were all done, I'd drive a half an hour home and I'd go to bed and I'd get up at 5am to do it again, seven days a week for probably four years straight. So you sacrifice a ton. I would, you know, there's probably people who have better balance in life than me, but my family struggled. like I didn't have a good balance. And so... There's, there's parts of it that if, if you aren't cut out for it, that's okay. You have a couple personal dogs, do it after work, do it on your weekends, go to hunt tests, you know, have fun, you know, have it be like a side hustle maybe, but as a life, it's not easy. And I think there's a lot of folks and and I would imagine in, in the Navda world, there's, there's people that like do it for two or three or four years and all of a sudden they just, there they go. And it's because it's hard.
0: And if you can't find that balance eventually, it's not sustainable. Um Ethan and I were in the same boat in the beginning phases. You know, we had our dogs that we were training and our personal dogs on a concrete slab in barrels in chain link kennel runs for the first six months um because we couldn't afford a building. Um it was, you know, summertime in Kansas, so we kept them cool and it was fine. But we knew it wasn't an option for the winter so like it was we have six months to get our shit together and get a building (laughs) up we better get this out something's got to change right right so we had this goal that we had to do this Um, we didn't even have air conditioning in our own personal house um, where we were living for the beginning stages Um, but it was it was five years of grind Um, you know it's a 24 7 365 day job because those live animals need fed. They need let out. They need trained. They need worked. And you getting the flu doesn't matter. They still need the the help and the care. Uh, you know, Ethan's brother got married while we were doing this process. And I had to miss the wedding because somebody had to take care of the dogs. And Ethan was in the wedding. So somebody had to, um, you know, it was one of those things where we realized, okay, this is not going to be sustainable long term. We need to have enough consistent help that we can take a break when we need to. Um, you know, when there's a family emergency or something like that, you need a someone that you can rely on and trust and fall back on. And we have been lucky enough after we moved from where we were at, where it was a real struggle to continuously get good help, um, reliable and consistent help, to where we're at now. We have an amazing team, um, that I can rely on. Um, Jess is an awesome trainer and is able to, you know, if stuff goes down and we're out of town, I have somebody that I can call and I can say, Hey Jess, I need you to get to the kennel. And she's gonna, she's gonna be able to do that for me. Or I say that to Tessa. I'm like, Hey Tessa, we're out of town. Um, one of the other girls is sick. That's supposed to be there this morning. I need somebody to cover. And one of my girls. Um, and I call them my girls because they are all women that work for us right now, um, and they do have a lot of compassion and love for the animals. Um, they truly care, and somebody's going to be able to step up and get there if we're gone. And you know, the kennel, the dogs need attention. So that is something that we we knew we needed, and if we couldn't get that, something was going to give. Um, we weren't going to be dog trainers anymore. You know, it was that fallout. It was either. Move push past it and find a way to make it work. Or I don't know if we're tough enough to keep doing this for another five years.
1: Yeah, oh, I get it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I know I'm preaching to the choir. Yeah, um, I know.
1: I need a nap already.
0: Yeah, so I want to. We don't have to go much longer, but I would like two little tidbits. Um, what you wish you could tell your younger self. Um, now that you're where you're at now, because not that you're old, Bob, but you know basically
1: i'm gray but i don't have a full beard <laughs> uh what would i tell my younger self i think i forget to enjoy the ride i get busy working this is a personal problem right i get busy working i get busy putting my nose down and and i'm not i'm going to I'm not the smartest guy in the world, but I am a really, really hardworking and I will break everything to make it work. Like I'm a bull in a China shop, but all of a sudden, like I got a China shop. It worked. Uh, you know, I just, I figure it out as I go. And that has hurt me in the past of like taking a deep breath, enjoying the ride. Take a deep breath. Enjoy the ride. Take a deep breath and look back at what it used to be like sleeping on a couch, you know. You know, that was, I wished I was here. Shoot, I mean, Buck is 13, so that was 10 years ago. I was sleeping on couches, you know, selling copiers and and insurance and stuff, wishing I was here. Now, I'm happy I'm here. I'm not, like, complaining. I'm just saying, like, I don't, Always re- remember that holy cow that that just happened to me. And so I, I think I would tell myself to slow down, enjoy the ride, um, appreciate the, the people, appreciate the dogs that helped make me, uh, because I think there, there are a lot of dogs that I got to work with that made me better made me a better trainer, made me do well at tests and trials. Um, I think I would also tell myself uh, to enjoy more family time <laughs> and figure out what I've figured out in the last 12 months. I will wish I figured it out probably three years ago, but that's life.
0: Oh yeah. Hindsight's always twenty twenty. 20. Um, but I think that, Like conversations like this, where you reflect back on where you started, how far you, we have come since the beginning, um, how much better our lives are now, um, that we, you know, pushed, we ground, and then we now get to reap some of those rewards. And, you know, we're still growing and changing and, you know, trying to continue to get that work-life balance figured out a little bit more, especially now that we have kiddos in the mix. Right, Um, That
1: makes it a whole new, a
0: whole new ball game. Yeah. And so it's nice to appreciate um, where you're at now and take the time to, to enjoy it and say, I've worked really hard. I am happy with where I'm at. Do I sure have goals and, you know, want to keep growing and do things a little bit differently or make some changes for the future? Sure. But I'm not going to just be like constantly looking at the horizon and not living in the present and enjoying it um, for what it is and what it has become because We both, we all have worked damn hard to get here, so we need to enjoy it a little bit.
1: Absolutely, I definitely think that that is a fault of mine, and so yeah, I'm trying to be conscious of it more and more every day.
0: I think that's a common fault for people like us um, because we struggle with it as well. Um, People that are truly passionate about what they do, they go all in, they completely immerse themselves, and it's hard to shut it off, especially when literally over the last ten years for you, ten years for us plus you know, we've kind of conditioned ourselves that this is life, you know, That's right. it's 24 seven. And when you get those down times and those moments where you're, you know, not something scheduled on the calendar, you almost go, this feels weird. What do we do? What do I do with myself? <laughs> I need to do something. I need to work. I need to train. I need to, you know, create some content. It's, it's hard to just be like, okay, nope, shutting it off now and saying, enjoy. That's so, right. I, I agree that people like us kind of struggle with that. Yeah. So would that be the advice you would share? I just shared my advice, right? Like enjoy the moment. But um, do you have any extra advice for people that are interested in doing this? And the conversation is a tough conversation because I, like you and I have said, we don't want to tell you don't do this. This right. is a horrible lifestyle. No, I just want to make it realistic so that you can, make a decision for yourself with as much information as possible. Yeah. Um, So I want some real life, realistic advice that you would share with somebody that's interested in owning their own kennel.
1: Very good. So if you're all in, I'm talking to the all in person, not the, the pipe dreamer that may or may not do it. If you are in the next 12 months going to open up a kennel, you want your expenses low. And you want your revenue high. So don't go out and buy the most flashy trailer. Don't go out and, you know, buy 12 Gunner kennels so that in your garage, they're sleeping in Gunner kennels. I mean, mind you, I am sponsored by and fully support Gunner kennels and sell them. So if you do want to buy 12, you call me. But or
0: us. I mean, you know. Do you too?
1: All right. Yeah, we do too. Yeah, baby.
0: They're really great kennels.
1: That's right. But I'm not saying you should, you want cash flow. So my, for instance, my first way to transport dogs from A to B to Z was $650 topper. It, it rode on the, it's a, if you don't know what a topper is, it looks like a, a cap for your truck and it had four holes and you could fit two crates in the back and then Memphis and Buck rode in my back seat. So I could transport four, five, six, seven, eight dogs to a field. And I would walk wingers out into the field and I would, cause I couldn't afford a four wheeler. All of a sudden, all these things start adding up as your bills and you haven't even really broke even yet. Right. So you have to, in my opinion, balance this line of being very professional, very clean, very safe. Um, with cost effective. So they can't be on dirt floor kennel runs uh, with no shade and all that. That is unacceptable. So your expenses need to go to making sure safety, cleanliness, the health of the animals is foremost. And that's why you sleep on a bed on the floor because right. the dogs were more important than I was. And I ate peanut butter and jelly. Yeah, I fed them the highest food I could feed them. Right? Like I, I sacrificed so that the dogs could have more and that my clients... Paid me to do this. Their dogs could have more, um, but I think there are some folks that that want to look as fancy as possible, and therefore they spend all this money, and they have they don't have enough to to pay for it, and so they're they're hurting even more. So just grow slowly. This is a if you really want this as a career, this is not a twelve month. All of a sudden, I've made it. This is a five year. And now you're profiting. And now, yeah, every time you do something like, let's, for instance, real quick, uh, if you buy a dog trailer, let's say you buy an eight-hole dog trailer, it's going to cost you right now with the market a good one, $15,000. I,
0: I typically tell people 2000 a hole.
1: That's right. So let's say you buy a mediocre one, but it's safe. We're not traveling across the country in it. It's safe. Let's say you spend eight grand on an eight-hole cool use it for a year pay that sucker down as much as you can or pay it off and then flip it and you'll be able to flip it for seven to nine and then you take that and you roll it into your 14 to 15 thousand dollar trailer and then you roll that into your 18 hole gooseneck atv pad pressurized water fans and the whole kit and caboodle and you're good
0: And then you take care of your equipment and that trailer that took you three years to flip and get and have is going to last you the next 20 years. That's right. Yeah. They're, they're very, if you get a good one, they're very well made and they hold their value.
1: That's right. That's Um, the benefit of
0: very good piece of advice. Yeah.
1: That's the benefit of some of the expensive that that we accrue in this business is, you know, four wheelers are going to depreciate. Birds are going to die. (laughs) And rot. Yeah. So like every bird you buy, that's not coming back. Um, dog food gets eaten. It's gone. So your, your, AT, your, your, uh, your trailer is a really good investment or, or whatever it is. Topper. Those are the probably the only good investment you're going to make. <laughs> the <laughs> Pretty sure are, everything else know, is those, up.
0: They're not those renewable resources, you know, like you said, the birds and you got to feed the birds and you got to feed the dogs and All of those expenses, you know, and insurance. I mean, there's a lot of expenses people don't think about from a day to day
1: um how about ammo expenditures. Yeah, think about ammo. Ammo right now is hard to find.
0: Find it right now. Right.
1: It's expensive and it's hard to find. So now you're shooting pigeons, chucker, all that stuff. If you've got twenty dogs and you need to shoot twenty chucker, that's fourteen bucks today. Just to shoot those chucker with the ammo not to mention the 12 dollar chucker
0: yeah the 12 dollar chucker
1: right so yeah rack them up so yeah,
0: it is an expensive um uh endeavor and that's something that you should really look at um realistically and we we do it and we rework our expenses all the time um, because our budget changes you know we have good help well, keeping good help costs money from paying their insurance and giving them raises and things like that. So then our cost of doing business changes. Um, you know, everything pricing goes up. Ammo's going up. Dog food's going up. Everything costs more. The cost of our birds goes up. Um, well, then we can't keep our training rates the same because everything else for us is costing more. So we have to pass that expense on to our clients. And sometimes that is a tough pill to swallow for people. Um, especially people that are repeat clients that we train their dog seven years ago, six years ago, they got a new puppy. Now they're wanting trained. And we're like, well, our
1: we're not 600 bucks anymore. <laughs> a-
0: yep. It's, it's gone up a little bit and yeah. they're like, Whoa, that's a lot. I'm like, well, I can go through all the reasons, but that, it is what it is because we need to be able to pay the bills. Um, That's right. So, yes, uh, it, it's something that you, if you're going to run a business, you have to have good business sense. Um, That's right. And it's hard sometimes because you look at what you want to do and to do what you want to do, you have to do what you need to do. <laughs> which yeah. is yeah. bills and expenses and insurance and licensures and permits and things like that. Yeah. So,
1: so, just my, again, just to reiterate with all that great, I mean, that really yeah. was good business talk, but, yeah. but just. Don't bite off more than you can chew. Make sure that you can afford the things that you're doing so that you can continue to chase the dream and be willing and able to eat peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for a while and, and, and sacrifice to ultimately get what you want. And if you don't want to be a dog trainer and you want to own your own construction business, you're going to have to do the same thing. You're going to have to swallow pride. You're going to have to drive a, Something that you don't want to drive or, you know, live somewhere you don't really want to live. And then hopefully with hard work, determination, never give up attitude and being good at what you do, you'll be all right. And
0: hopefully more than all right and become successful. Yeah. And uh, well-known and well-respected. And, you know, you say you're going to do something and your dogs perform and they do it. You know, don't overpromise. That's another thing. um, Oh, yeah. I, I want to tell just our little tidbit. Um, my little tidbit is I don't like overpromising, you know, clients sometimes have really high goals and I say, well, let's see what your dog can do. Let me work with them. Let me evaluate them. I'm not going to say, Oh yeah, yeah. Susie Q or Billy Bob or Sparky is going to become the next master hunter because not every dog is going to make that in That's a right. reasonable amount of time either. Um, dogs have ceilings so don't overpromise um be realistic with what you can do and what the dog's capable of because um trying to force and break a dog and push a dog into something they're not um is just going to come back to bite you um literally really
1: and act- figuratively
0: yes could could both literally <laughs> and figuratively bite you so um just try and be as honest in your business as possible and i think that that's also very valuable Um, information. There's so many little valuable tidbits, you know, we could go on and on, but sure.
1: Well, I would give a tidbit. You got to check out standing stone supply for this homie hat, baby. (laughs) I've been wearing this thing all the time. I love it.
0: Oh, it's going to get sweaty and dirty. Like Ethan loves his homie hat, but I'm like, anytime there's white apparel, I'm like, keep me as far away from that as possible because i'll make it dirty instantly
1: day one i wore it i got a little grease stain on the top of it and it looks like pigeon poop so i'm like no this is this is character this is character i love it oh it's (laughs) awesome
0: thanks for representing the brand bob absolutely And thanks also for being on the show with me today. Um, This is kind of a new fun thing we're doing. Uh, I really enjoy having these conversations, sharing things that I'm interested in or things that I feel like have been big questions people have had Um, and not just Ethan and my perspective on them. Um, It's nice to get other people's perspectives and obviously somebody that we really enjoy spending time with and respect um, as another professional dog trainer and breeder out there. So thank you. Do all of your promo stuff where all the people can find you.
1: All right. Well, I appreciate it. Uh, if you enjoyed the episode, just give uh, Kat the props because she held this one up. That was awesome. Thank you for having me. Um, and I've been loving watching you too. Like you're you're killing it as a mom. You're killing it as a boss. You're killing it as a trainer. Like it's motivating and, and inspiring and fun. So keep doing Thank you. that as well. I love it. Um, you can find me on Instagram at lone duck. That's where I'm most easily connected to. Um, we have a Patreon as well, which Ethan and Kat hooked me up with that. Uh, you know, they really pushed me towards it and we've really, really enjoyed it. We've built a great community of people there. There's, you know, videos that don't hit YouTube or Instagram. So there's some insider content. We have happy hours every other week where we get to talk dogs and, you know, zoom meetings and all that. So it's patreon.com forward slash lone duck outfitters. Um, Facebook and all that stuff is good. Website is good, but I would say Instagram. Oh, and the podcast. Lone, podcast. Yeah. I forgot about that. Uh, lone ducks. How could
0: you forget we're doing one now? Right? I
1: know. Yeah. Well, I just feel like we're on a FaceTime. I love this. Yeah. Um, it's lone ducks gun dog chronicles and uh, it's really fun fun show. I get to hang out with my friends and talk dogs and share information. So thank you for having me. I really, really appreciate it. And uh, it was special. Just I've enjoyed just sitting with you and, and just chatting. So thank you.
0: Yeah, I, this is fun. Um, I haven't kind of done a ton of these. And so getting to kind of take the ball and run with it, um, on my own independently from, you know, Ethan and I doing everything together has been enjoyable. So thank you guys for listening. Thanks for being fans of all of our content on our YouTube channel, our podcasts, um, our Patreon, um, where we try and help people answer dog training questions, train their own dogs from home. We're all about educating and helping people learn. Um, so that's where all of our channels and content creation comes together. And again, we do have our Standing Stone Supply store where you can get that really cool homie hat if you want one. Or I'm I'm wearing a Standing Stone American t-shirt right now. Ooh, I like it. Lots of cool stuff there, as well as the dog training supplies um, that we use and recommend. So check that out, StandingStoneSupply.com. And until next time, I'm Kat the Dog Trainer, and we'll see you in the next video.